Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I'm thankful y'all are here. Lots of places you could be, particularly on Independence Day, but you're here. God's got us all here for a reason. And I think one of the reasons, I don't know about y'all, but ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Dude, that was a little Johnny Cash, if you didn't know that, from the early 1950s. That song was written in 1934, believe it or not. Um, that was even before I was born. But today is, y'all, today is Independence Day. Um, and it's, it, it's so different than, if you think back last summer, that was early last summer, we were in the throes of the pandemic and freedoms were seemed to be eroding, right? And so it's just so good that, that this Independence Day is, is very different than last, the last Independence Day. It just makes me want to cry. It's just so cool. You know, today we're going to veer away from, uh, we, you know, we've been in, a, in the book of Acts and we're going to jump out of Acts today and we're going to jump back into Acts next week. But today I want us to talk about freedom. I want us to talk about uh, America. I want us to talk about Jesus. Um, I want us to get our arms around and understand what real true freedom is, the freedom that we all have in Christ, the liberty that we have in Christ that is afforded to us as a believer. So we're going to talk about that today and I want us to look we're going to look at one verse, and we may talk a little bit about some other passages, but we're going to talk about one verse, and that's Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, Old Testament. Righteousness, Proverbs 14, 34, is righteousness makes a nation great, but sin degrades any people. That's a super, look who's here. I'm sorry, y'all. I just saw some friends that are here from a long way off. Sorry about that. Can you edit that out too when you edit Richard's faux pas out? <laughs> but righteousness, y'all, makes a nation great. Sin degrades any people. And I want to preface a little bit today. I want to preface it with this. I do love my country. I am very proud to be uh, an American. I am super thankful that we live in a free country. Y'all, and we can, we can whine about being persecuted. Go to China, y'all, and then talk to me about persecution. But I, I'm, I, but I am super proud to be an American. Not, and it's not a perfect country. It's an imperfect country, but, but we're free. Now, with that said, though, I absolutely do not place my American citizenship in front of my citizenship in the body of Christ. Absolutely do not. Absolutely do not. I'd rather be a, 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 a citizen of China and be a Christ follower than be a citizen of America and be lost as a goose. So my citizenship in the body of Christ trumps all. You know, at the end of the day, it trumps my relationship with y'all. It trumps my relationship with my wife. It's the most important thing in my life. And that, and that ought to be true for all of us that are followers. But I am super thankful that I am an American citizen because I do believe that, that everything that is America was sovereignly placed in the hearts and in the minds of our founding fathers by God. I believe that our country is a heaven-rescued, God-blessed land. Somebody write that down. We are a heaven-rescued, God-blessed land. We are. 1620, we're going to do a little history today too. 1620, 500 or so years ago, right? Pilgrims land on the shores up in the northeast of the New World. They landed in search of, uh, of religious liberty. 
the history books can change that, but the fact is the fact. They, were, they wanted freedom from the state-sanctioned church in England. We don't have a state-sanctioned church in America. We shouldn't. They were leaving that oppression. They went to Holland for about 12 years, and then they land in New England to begin a, a, a new colony for what the Mayflower Compact says, for the glory of God. That's what it says. In fact, anybody know what the first six words of the Mayflower, Mayflower Compact read? In the name of God, amen. That's the first words of the Mayflower Compact. They wrote it in the boat, in the ship, before they got out and landed on shore. They wrote it like in the belly of the ship, and a compact is like a covenant. And they were covenanting with each other. And this covenant, this compact, the Mayflower Compact, says that their purpose was for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. It was a mission trip. They were looking for freedom to worship Christ. The Declaration of Independence, what does it say? It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their creator with unalienable rights. That's what it says. Y'all, that's good. That's good. You know, they're saying that these truths in the Declaration, that these truths aren't debatable. We're not voting on the truths. You don't vote on truth. 50% plus one vote doesn't make the truth a lie, and it doesn't make a lie the truth. The Declaration says that the truths are self-evident. They're not, they're, not, they're not debatable. We don't discuss them. Well, what is it that's self-evident? Here's what's self-evident, that all men are endowed by what? By who? All men are endowed by the Creator, by God. Did these men believe in evolution? No, they did not believe in evolution. They believed that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob created men and women and gave them rights. Temporary rights? No, wavering rights? No, unalienable rights. Now, that's a word we don't really use today, but what unalienable means is they're unchangeable, they're unchallengeable, they're, they're undeniable, they're incontrovertible, they're absolute rights that are given by God. So let me say this. The government don't give me or you or anybody else rights. The government doesn't give us rights. God gives us rights. Those inalienable rights are given by God. He's the rights giver, not the government now. The government exists to protect those rights, not to, not to provide those rights. The rights themselves are God-given. Is that clear? You're supposed to say crystal if you saw a few good men. Okay. And so the very nature of the land that all of us call home is rooted, founded, grounded in the belief in Almighty God. And the Constitution was written, and in the Constitution you got the Bill of Rights, and in that Bill of Rights it says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The expression, the separation of church and state doesn't even exist in the Constitution of the Bill of Rights, but that expression today has become this, like some catch-all phrase with, in some twisted attempt to remove any, quote, religious influence from all of civil affairs. That, that's what that phrase has become. The reality of the First Amendment, though, is this. Our founding fathers came from a world that was ruled by, by what? By kings. By kings. 
kings who used the official state churches to control people. Y'all, that's what happened. That was what was going on in England. And these guys, they were fed up with the king's supposed divine rights. James Madison wrote this about the First Amendment. He said the First Amendment was written because the people feared that one sect might obtain preeminence or two combine together and establish a religion where they could compel through force other people to conform. The First Amendment, y'all, was, it was intended to shield the churches from the encroachment of the federal government. They never, ever, ever intended that the church, that believers should have no influence at all in the state or that religion should be separated. Hear this now. They never intended that, that, that religion should be separated from national life by, by some impenetrable wall of separation. That was not the intent. The nation was founded on a presupposition. Y'all know what a presupposition is? It's, it's what I've got in my mind as I come into a conversation based on my experiences, based on what the Lord has put inside of me, based on all kinds of stuff. I'm entering into, in, entering into a conversation presupposing some truths. And so our nation was founded on the presupposition that a biblical worldview forms the moral foundation of all governmental action. George Washington said true religion, real religion, authentic religion offers the government its surest support. That's what, that's what George Washington said. Again, that term separation of church and state, it does not even exist in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights anywhere. It comes from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1802 where he was replying to a letter from a group of churches in Connecticut. And even then, Thomas Jefferson wasn't even a member of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, nor was he a member of the first Congress that passed the Bill of Rights. So the reality is that the intent is that the church is not to control the state and the state is not to control the church. But don't you dare, don't you dare go down this road and don't let, you, don't let anybody else go down this road that, it, that that somehow means that godly men and women are not to influence their government. That is absolutely not what it means. You can't live in a vacuum. Our government, our country was born on the heels and the, of the fires of revival, the fire of revival. And don't let the history books rewrite that. Virtually all of the 1700s were revival. And that revival is reflected through our constitution. The Constitution was never, ever meant, it never meant that little kids couldn't pray in school. Me and you ought to be able to be free to pray wherever, however, and whenever we want to. All is really meant by that is that you cannot be forbidden to pray and you cannot compel somebody to pray. It's not as hard as we make it. We make stuff so complicated, y'all. You can't stop me from praying and I can't force you to pray, period. I wouldn't want to force you to pray anyway. You think your prayer would be authentic if I've got a gun to your head making you pray? No, but you can't stop me from praying either. But we can see that the great men that founded this nation, they were men of faith and they were, they were men that bowed the knee to Christ and they were men that prayed. I had somebody tell me in the last couple of three weeks in this tired conversation about separation of church and state. You know, you can spew a lie loud and long enough and people all of a sudden think the lie is true. 
So we're having this conversation about sep the separation of church and state. And it's a tired conversation, y'all. It is. And he says to me, you do realize that George Washington was an atheist, right? And I'm like, what kind of nonsense is that? What kind of nonsense? George Washington wasn't an atheist? Listen to these words. These are George Washington's words, y'all. They're not mine. I'm going to read them verbatim so you know that Ed didn't manipulate it or something. These are his words. He penned them in 1783. And this is from the guy who my buddy says is an atheist. The first two words, Almighty God. We make our earnest prayer. I'm going to struggle to read this because there are some thous and some wilts. And we make our earnest prayer that thou wilt keep the United States in thy holy protection, that thou wilt incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to government and entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another and for their fellow citizens of the United States at large. And finally, that thou wilt most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and temper of mind which were the characteristics of the divine author. Well, who's the divine author? with the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion without a humble imitation of whose example in those things, without that, we can never hope to be a happy nation. And he ends the letter with, Grant our supplication, we beseech thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Is that the words of an atheist? Like, you think they read that letter in, in eighth grade history class? No. No, they're going to tell you George Washington is an atheist. That's just not the facts. Truth is that which conforms to reality. And the reality is George Washington writes that. We are not a nation, though, y'all. Don't get crazy. We're not a nation where everybody in the society is a Christian, nor is forced to be. That don't, so don't lose those, nor is forced to be, those five words. Don't lose that, nor is forced to be. Does God twist your arm behind your back to save you? No. What's, what, what means more, y'all, when your daughter or your son comes walking through your, your living room and you're sitting on the chair and you say, get your tail over here and give me a hug and a kiss? Or they come walking through the living room when they're three years old and they run and they just jump up and give you a kiss. Y'all, unsolicited. God doesn't twist our arms behind our back. We can't twist, nor should we be. And that's not what the Constitution says, rightly interpreted. We don't force people to be Christians. But we are, however, a nation where the principles, hear this now, the principles and the institutions and the foundations of the institutions are grounded in a biblical worldview. And you can say that we're not, and people do just turn the TV on. Moses is in front of the Supreme Court. You know, Moses wasn't a pagan, y'all. This country was founded and grounded with a biblical worldview. It, it is. Our entire legal system is grounded with a biblical worldview. Now, that was a long introduction. Yeah, that was a long introduction. Proverbs 14.34, righteousness makes a nation great. Your translation may, see, may say exalts a nation. But righteousness, righteousness makes a nation great. But sin degrades any people. I want us to see three things here today. 
Number one is a nation made great. Number two is a nation decaying. And number three is a nation revived. The arrival of revival. That's what we're going to talk about today. So number one, a nation made great. Righteousness makes a nation great. I believe that we're a great nation because of the way we were born. The way the nation was born. We were born towards the very end of the fires of, of the Great Awakening. The revival in the 1700s started in the 1720s. And make no bones about it, the world was depraved in the early 1700s. So revival starts in the 1720s and it ran through the very beginning, y'all, of the American Revolution in 1776. The flames of that revival began in the middle colonies and then in the 30s moved into New England and in the 40s moved into the, into the southern colonies and it swept across the plains, across the prairies, across the mountains. The fires of revival, I'm talking about George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards preaching repentance, preaching the... Uh, we are a sinner in need of salvation. You can't get saved if you don't know that you need it. Like Jesus saves on the bumper sticker from what? You need to know from what you're getting saved. It's from the pit of hell. And so this country was founded, grounded right on the heels of that, of that revival. A great spiritual awakening in America. And it was out of that awakening that people gained character. It was out of that awakening that people gained character and out of that character that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution came to be. People's character changed and then the nation is born. That first government, as any government, is a reflection of the character of the people. You're not going to want to hear this, but I think we can say it. I think it's truth. We get the kind of government we deserve. Because the kind of government we get, we get is a direct reflection of the character of, of the people. The family, the church, and the government, those are the three institutions that God ordained, and all of them are a reflection of the character of the people that are in them. Does that make sense? Here's another truism. Assuming that what I just said is true, that the government is a reflection of the character of the people, another truism is this. The greater the character of the people the more freedom there is. The less the character of the people, the less freedom there is. You could probably say that's a principle. Like that's a life principle. It's like with kids. You got a daughter. You got a daughter and she's, you've been trying to raise her right and teaching her right from wrong and uh, leading her to, to the Lord and she hits the wonderful age of 13. She's clearly not perfect but she shows flashes of decent character. She shows flashes of integrity. She's kind of responsible. She is really becoming gentle and patience and kind. And she's got a little bit of a servant's heart. She hits 14, 15, sort of the same thing. And you know what's right around the corner is the sweet 16, the car keys right are right around the corner. Raise your hand if you've gone through the 16. Ooh, Lord have mercy, scariest day of my life, handing the keys to my heathen son. <laughs> So, but that's what's around the corner, but because of the character that she has kind of displayed, the integrity she's kind of displayed, the responsibility she's kind of displayed, you know, the, the peace, the patience, just kind of generally her character. She's afforded some freedoms, and one of those freedoms is the keys to mom's minivan. Now, if you've got a 16-year-old daughter and you still got a minivan, you probably need to trade it in and get something other than a minivan. But you give her the keys. Now, the the the... The reverse of that's true. If she's 
consistently been a thug, if she's consistently displayed irresponsibility, did I just say she's consistently been a thug? Sorry about that. It's just what, it just comes out. But she's shown irresponsibility. She's shown a lack of character. She has not been gentle, patience, kindness, whatever that is. She's just kind of generally displayed a lack of character. You would probably allow her to understand that she has forfeited many of the freedoms that she would otherwise have had. Right? Does that make sense, y'all? That there's an image right there. Character and freedom. They're totally tied together. So the Constitution was written by men of character for people of character. It wasn't written for thugs. I said it again. Our republic, which is a government of laws with the consent of those who are governed, that makes it a little different. Because yes, we're a government of laws, but we're a government of laws with the consent of us that are being governed. And it will only work if the people have character. The governed and the government gotta have character. If the people in America have no character, the Constitution doesn't work. And ultimately, the nation will fail. Character is what we're talking about. Character is what has seemed to go on, on vacate. Not sinlessness. Y'all, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about perfectionism. I'm talking about character. Righteousness makes a nation great. If America's character gets gone, she cannot stand. But if she keeps her character, she cannot fail. That's just the way it is. Righteousness is what makes us great. Born out of revival, born out of God's character, we are made in, in his image. There are communicable attributes of the Lord. When, when it says that we are made in his image, we have the potential for good. And I'm not talking about our general um, sinful nature. Of course we all have a sinful nature. But a sinful nature doesn't mean that all I do is act like a jerk and am rotten to the core and can't ever perform deeds of kindness. That's not what I'm talking about. Because we're born out of his character. This country was born out of the character of God. We didn't necessarily have more natural resources than anybody else. We didn't, we weren't stronger than anybody else. Our our IQs in, in North America were not higher than anybody else's. IQs are kind of a constant across the globe. We became in this country the wealthiest and the strongest and the greatest nation on earth. Why? Why? Because we had character. We had character. Let me give you a quote from a 19th century philosopher that came to the United States. Here's what he said. And he was looking to figure out what it is, what is it about this land? What is it that makes her different? He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers. And it wasn't there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and her boundless forests, and it wasn't there. In her rich mines and her, and her vast world commerce, and it wasn't there. He said, in her public school system and in her institutions of education, and it wasn't there. He said, I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in her democratic congress and her matchless Constitution, it wasn't there. He said, not until I went into the churches of America and I heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. He said, America is great because she's good. He said, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. That dude just said what King Solomon said 3,000 years earlier. 
righteousness makes a nation great. Guys, when we have character, when we obey the Lord, when his word is the yardstick for the way that we speak to each other and the way that we act towards each other, the way that sons treat their mamas. Y'all, if you got a daughter and the day is going to come when she's about 25 that you let her go on a date, <laughs> at least my three-week-old granddaughter ain't going on no date with no thug until she's 25. Look at the way the boy treats his mama. You look at the, if you have a daughter and some thug wants to take her on a date, look at the way he treats his mama because that'll be an image. So when, when we obey the Lord and when we, the, the way, when, when his word is the yardstick and when we do that kind of stuff and a, a nation is exalted, it's made great. So number one is a nation made great. Number two is this, a nation decaying. I don't have to talk about this long. All you got to do is just look around. But I want you to see this principle as well that if righteousness makes a nation great, then the opposite of that is going to destroy a nation, going to rot it. It's going to wither and it's going to decay. So righteousness makes a nation great, but sin degrades any people. Sin is what is going to destroy us. And it's going to destroy us from the inside out. It's going to destroy us from the core, the core. And I ain't really that worried about North Korea or Iraq or China or any of them people. I worry a lot more about the rotting consequences, the decay that's caused by the sin in our country. When good has become bad and red has become green and right and wrong are decided by 50% plus one. Y'all, right and wrong are not decided by 50% plus one vote. Right and wrong are decided by the word of God. God decides what's right and wrong. We can, we can try to change that by vote, but that doesn't make right wrong and wrong right. Does that make sense? It doesn't change the truth. Truth is truth even if I don't believe it. And I could not believe it to my very core. But if it's true, it's true. It don't matter what Ed says. That's why I tell y'all all the time, Measure what comes out of my mouth against this. Don't measure it against another man or woman. Measure it against, against God's word. And if it's contrary to what God's word says, then guess what? It is wrong. I mean, <laughs> I can make the case that China is not, it's not China that I fear. It's God that I fear. I fear that God's going to take our sin and maybe use China, North Korea, whoever, whatever, to punish us if we don't get right with him. I'm talking about the decay of the spines of the people in America. It's not a new thing either. So don't, it's so easy to say, golly, it was so much better when I was a kid. Or your parents will say, it was so, y'all are such dirt bags. It was so much better. No, this junk has been going on a long time. Back a hundred years up to the, to the turn of the 20th century, World War I, early in the 20th century, we prayed and we sought God as a nation and God provided and we defeated our enemies, but we were pitiful winners. We were smitten with power. And then you had the roaring 20s, the roaring 20s. The roaring 20s came with massive moral decay Massive, carefree, and sinful living. And the roaring 20s ended in 1929 with what? 
the greatest economic catastrophe the country had ever seen, the Great Depression. Shattered the American dream. And along with that came this burgeoning dependence on the government for what the people thought and felt was security and stability in the 30s. They're going to give us a bunch of stuff. Remember, greater character, greater freedom. Less character, less freedom. So the government grows and the government grows and the government provided more and more and more. And we're like, oh, yeah, I'm digging. Like, I'm digging this. But that, that, that doesn't come without a cost. As it, as the, as it began to, to provide more and more and more, it then had the ability to regulate more and more and more and the ability to control more and more. I heard a story about a man that had some wild pigs on his property, and we've got somebody in our church who's going through literally the exact same thing started yesterday. But I heard this story about this man had some wild pigs on his property. And he tried to trap them, but he never could trap the pigs. But his buddy told him, I can trap them for you. No worries, just give me a little bit of time. And the man said, you know, how are you going to do it? And he said, don't worry about that. Just give me, just, just authorize me to do it on your property and just give me a little bit of time. And so the man went out. He made this in this little clearing on the guy's property. And he throws out some pig food. And after a while, pigs showed up. And I'm talking about hogs. Hogs showed up and they eat, they eat the food. They ate the food and then they go on, uh, you know, about their business. And he did it day after day after day after day. Soon that spot was the feeding place. They knew where to go for the food. The food was free. The pigs knew where to go. Day after day, they got fed. Then one day the man went out there and he put a fence post up. Hogs showed up because the food was there. And they looked at the fence post and like, eh, whatever. And they eat some food, go on their way. And then you had another fence post and another fence post and another fence post and a rail and then another rail and then another rail and some chicken wire around the, around the rails. And after a while, there was a pin. There was a pin and it had a narrow opening. Food's in there, free food's in there. They're walking in and out of that narrow opening, going to get the food and walking out. They got freedom, going in, to, in there, get their free food and coming out. But then all of a sudden at just the right moment, the gate came down on that opening and the pigs were on the inside. They didn't even know how they got there. They're like, I'm just coming over here to get some free food. And all of a sudden I'm trapped in this pen. And the dude looked at his buddy and he smiled and he said, <clears throat> he said, it's not hard, man. It's super simple. Anything that depends on me for its food, I can control. Y'all, that's what it's, that's what it looks like. And it sneaks up. Them pigs didn't know how they got inside that pen. And so there comes a time when the, when the government begins to take care of us and more care of us. And that government has the ability to regulate us, maybe and control us a little bit. And when they do that, they ultimately can, can oppress us. And I'm not saying we're getting oppressed. I'm not saying that we're getting all persecuted. But I'm saying that is the natural progression that ends up landing in a totalitarian system. That's the natural order that happens with that. So just know when there's a vacuum, when a vacuum exists, the government will fill it. They will. And it's going to grow in direct proportion to the weakness of the character of the people. Now is a lot to say. I'm going to say that again. It's going to grow. The government is going to grow in direct proportion to the weakness of the character of the people. Liberty will only last as long as character lasts. That is as true as the day is long. Freedom is only going to last as long as character lasts. Righteousness makes a nation great. 
but sin degrades any people. And I still believe Romans 13. Why do I still believe Romans 13? Because it's in the Bible. That's why I believe it. I believe nothing happens on the planet, nor ever has, nor ever will, that God does not allow. So the leaders that are in place in this world we live in, they are in place because God allowed them to be in place. But I do believe that God gave us as one of his fundamental institutions, he gave us government to protect life and property, not to sustain it, to protect it. There's a difference in protecting life and property and sustaining it. The role our founding fathers gave our government is to protect life and property. I heard a preacher one time, he said, America is not a cow to be milked, it's a watchdog to be fed. There's a difference. And so it seems like over a pretty decent length of time, we've been losing our character as, as a nation. Just about 50% of marriages end in divorce. God says, I hate divorce. So about half the marriages end in divorce. Abortion is epidemic in the United States. About a million and a half little boys and girls are murdered before they're born. Do I need a law to tell me that that's wrong? No. No. I just got to read a little bit of that. You know what? The reality is I don't even have to read that to know that that's wrong. He's put that inside of me to know that that's wrong. We're talking about a million and a half in this country, 30 or 40 million around the world. Human trafficking is rampant. Filth is spewed out of every media pipe available. Drug and alcohol addiction are just like commonplace. Hatefulness and meanness are just normal. Y'all, me and you are supposed to hate each other if we disagree. And the model for that is our elected officials. They can't disagree without wanting to slit the throat of the other one. They can't disagree and go have dinner together. 25 years ago, they actually could do that. But they're the model for me and you that when we disagree, we have to hate each other. Like forever, we have to hate each other. We burn buildings and we loot our neighbor's businesses and we call that protest. We storm the Capitol in Washington, D.C. and break in and we call that protest. Y'all, this one calls that one a racist and that one calls this one a racist and then they kill each other. Like that hate is staggering. It is staggering. And lots of them doing it with a Bible in their back pocket. Like, are you kidding me? That's got to stop. It's just got to stop. And I don't care if you are on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle or what color t-shirt you wear. Like, I don't care. The hate is just absurd. And it really does have to stop. Righteousness makes a nation great. It is actually shocking. I was laying in the bed Friday night thinking about this. It is shocking that God hasn't already looked at us, done this right here, and just thumped us right off the planet. He, he would have a right to do that, would he not? So we see a, uh, a nation decaying. Number two. Number three is this. Not only a nation made great, righteousness makes a great nation. Not only a nation decaying, you know, sin degrades any people. But number three, we see the revival of a nation. The arrival of revival. 
Optimist. Well, am I an optimist or a pessimist? You're probably like, he is the most pessimistic person I ever met. No, I'm a realist. And the greatest reality that the planet has ever seen is Jesus Christ. The greatest reality is our Lord. And he don't sit on either side of the aisle. He's looking down on from, from above, looking down on it. And you know, because of that, I believe deep in my heart that our country is absolutely not too far gone. No way. That it's not too late for us. It is absolutely not too late for us. We look at the history of revival. What you're going to find is that revival is not birthed when times are rosy. Revival's not birthed in the great times. Revival's not birthed in economic prosperity. Revival is born out of darkness, like darkness. Revival is born out of filth and decay and sinfulness. That's when revival is born. And I believe that what God has done before, he will do again. And I trust him. I trust that he can do it again, and I trust that he will do it again. I do, I, like, I do. I believe that he is exactly who he says he is and that he is the ultimate way maker. I feel it in my bones. Like I feel it in my bones that we're just on the precipice of revival. We're right on the edge of revival. I feel like people are starved for truth. Like people are starved for Jesus and they don't even really like know it. Have you ever seen Field of Dreams? He said, build it and they'll come. Like people are so starved for authenticity. They're so starved for people who name the name of Christ but are real. Not perfect. Don't act like you're perfect. Perf There's one perfect. Be a reflector of him. But people are so starved for that. I think people are starved for the gospel. The whole gospel. Repent and believe. I just think people are starved for it. I think we are so on the edge of that. The greatest spiritual awakening that the world has ever seen. The greatest Jesus movement ever. And I believe our, our, our nation can be revived because righteousness still makes a nation great. It still does. If there's breath in your lungs and you are not a Christ follower, there's breath in your lungs. You can be. That's, that's revival, y'all. What, what, what do we need to do? Like, what do we need to do about that? I think, and I believe, and Scripture would tell us that we need to cry out to the Lord. We need to cry out in repentance. We need to cry out in faith. We need to cry out in trust. We need to trust Him. And we need to trust Him independent of our circumstances. Y'all, independent of your personal circumstances and independent of our corporate circumstances. In other words, independent of the circumstances in the country. We need to trust Him. Trust Him. Believe Him. Believe the Word. Believe that, that he is who he says he is, that he can do everything he says he can do. We as believers, Scripture says we're light on a hill. Scripture says that we are the salt of the land, the salt of the earth. And Scripture says, Jesus said in, in Matthew 5.13, we are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the land. But if it becomes tasteless, if that salt becomes tasteless, well, how in the world can it get salty again? If it doesn't get salty again, it's good for nothing. And you know what, you know what he said? He said, it's good for nothing except to be trampled on by feet. I don't want to get trampled. I ain't getting trampled on. We've got to regain, we've got to regain the saltiness. Sin ruins the saltiness. Righteousness makes it salty again. And there can be revival. 
And I'm not talking about revolution. I'm talking about revival. I'm not talking about taking up arms. I'm talking about taking up a cross. It's revival. It's not revolt. It's a cross, not a 30-06. I got a 30-06, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about revival, y'all. And I'm saying the answer is not in overthrowing the government center on 2nd Avenue. The answer is not in driving to Atlanta and overthrowing the Capitol in Atlanta. The answer is not driving up to D.C. and overthrowing the Capitol up there. The answer to the problem, the answer to America's problem is sitting in this room right now. The answer to America's problem right now, July 4th, 2021, is us. The answer is, and you know why, the, why it is? Because we have the potential for godly influence. If we are a Christ follower, we have the potential for godly influence. So the answer is in this room. The answer is in First Baptist downtown. It's in St. Luke. It's in St. Paul. It's in Evangel Temple. It's in, in North Highland. It's in, it, it, it's in Solid Rock. It's in Eden Church. It's in Woodland Baptist in Phoenix City. It's in Grace Presbyterian. It's in Christ Community Church. It's in every church, everywhere that people today are worshiping the Lord, that's where the answer is. We are the ones that can make a difference, right? With godly influence. Remember, we were born at, on the heels of revival. And we have a constitution providing us freedom. We have a constitution written by men of character for people of character. And that character comes out of a proper response to the gospel. That's where the character comes from. I can, worship team, y'all can come on out. When we get right with God, this was in the last song, the third song, I think. When we get right with God, he hears our cries. Second Chronicles 7.14 is not cliche. It's not some wall hanging from Hobby Lobby. Don't let it be that. If my people who <clears throat> who bear my name will humble themselves will pray will seek his faith will turn from our evil ways that's the part of the gospel that gets thrown to the curb but the Lord says humble yourselves pray seek my face he says and turn from your evil ways if we do that he will hear us and he will forgive our sin corporately and individually, this is an image of the gospels written of the gospel written a couple thousand years earlier, y'all. He will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. And we don't need to just run out in the street waving a flag. We don't. We need to be in our war rooms. We need to be in our prayer closets, praying, seeking His face in humility. We need to be sitting around a campfire talking about Jesus and yes talking about America Jesus first and America second yeah we need to do, we need to be sitting around a fire and having and and seeking for him to redeem our marriage if our marriage is busted because he can do that y'all you may, your marriage may be in the pit of hell Jesus Christ can redeem that marriage just like that your family's busted up we need to be in our prayer closets around a campfire sitting in our living room seeking for him to restore relationships in our family we need to be doing that with in our educational system 
seeking that he would guide that. We need to be crying out to him in repentance, crying out for him to show us mercy, for him to forgive us, for him to save us, for him to save our leaders. I pray for Joe Biden every single night laying in my bed. We need to be praying for the people that we don't agree with that are lost. We need to be praying for the people that we do agree with that are lost. Who's going to make the change? Is Ed going to make the change or is Jesus Christ going to make the change? Y'all, he fixes broken stuff. If you are a believer, you are broken. If you've ever had a marriage that was busted, he fixes it. Fix is not a Bible word, but he fixes it. He redeems it. He buys it back and he loves it and he loves you. Y'all, it's what he does. He's been doing that for so long. And so we need to believe God. We need to trust him to bring revival. And we need to pray that the revival begins with the person that's in your mirror. It's got to begin with you because if you're lost, you ain't starting no revival. He says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, your Jerusalem is in your house. And so revival really does start with the man in the mirror. And I trust, and I, I don't even know why I say I feel it in my bones, but I just do. Because I see the world so in need of him. Righteousness makes a nation great. But sin degrades any people. I'm telling you, if you, and you may not even would say the words, I'm starving for the gospel, but something's missing. Like you can't put your finger on it. Something, something ain't right. There's been no joy in your life. Your marriage is jacked up. Your relationship with your kids is jacked up or with your parents or whatever. Something's wrong. Something's missing. And you've been searching for all kind of stuff to fill that void. And I'm not even saying maybe bad stuff. Could be drugs and alcohol. Could be, could be multiple relationships with other humans trying to, to fill that void. You know, it could be work. It could be money. I don't know. But the only thing, that hole that you got in there, it is exactly the shape of Jesus Christ. He fits in there perfect. And he fits in there perfect because he will redeem all of the brokenness that is in there. And so if that's you today, I would beg you to consider that offer that he makes. Consider that offer. And you can, if you've considered it as we're talking today and you say, yes, I want it, just come down to the cross and pray. And if you want to come down to the cross and pray for our country, please come down and pray. If you want to come down the cross and, and pray for your husband or your wife or your ex-husband or your ex-wife or your soon-to-be husband or your soon-to-be wife or your children or your mom or your daddy, whatever, I would love it. We need to be a praying people. We need to know that I can't do it, that you can't do it, but he can do it all. And the way that happens is through prayer. And I just want us to be a praying people. And I'll say this and then I'll be quiet. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, just let that happen today. Don't go to bed without that happening. And and, it, and I, I talked through it today. It is I repent and turn away from my sin and I turn towards the Lord. And I believe that he died on the cross to pay a penalty that was mine to pay. 
It was mine. It wasn't his. It was mine. But he did it anyway. And I believe that happened. I believe that he walked out of that grave alive and that sealed that deal. That's all it is. If that's you, pray this with me. If y'all would, close your eyes. Lord, today is the day. And I and Lord, I this may be you that I've, I've been starving and thirsting for something and I never knew what it was until today I've tried everything else and nothing else works nothing else makes any change in my life nothing else brings me character in fact probably the opposite and so Lord today is the day that I believe and I really believe for the first time and Lord I'm going to turn away from my sin turn towards you and I trust and I believe that you did die on that cross and that you walked out of the grave alive. Lord, save me. Forgive me. Show me mercy when I don't deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, if that's you and you're in this room, our prayer team is back there. Please go talk to them. Please talk to me. If you're watching online, let us know. Fill a connection card out that's in the seat, the seat back in front of you. Just talk to somebody. Y'all, let's continue on in worship.